With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I said I would have him back on after the bubble and everything settled down with free agency and the draft. And while we know what the LA Kings did, and it's not, you couldn't have anybody better. This is the man you want to talk to. This is Dennis Bernstein. Dennis, how's the day treating you? I'm doing great, James. Great to be with you again. Thanks for inviting me back to the Offside Hockey Podcast. Not a problem at all. So let's get right out in front of it. I want to ask, I mean, obviously when we talked, you were very high on Quentin Byfield going to the LA Kings for the draft. And, you know, you even mentioned Anze Kopitar wanting that type of player on the team and kind of the model, I guess, uh, that young guy after himself. Um, what's the, the mood around LA now that they got Quentin Byfield, obviously, uh, you know, a strong player, uh, a person that, uh, can definitely help the LA Kings, but I got to ask the question, what's the mood around the team for this? And then secondly, when do you think he'll be making the NHL? Um, well, they're thrilled because they got a star player. I think they could have gone wrong at two with Stutzla or uh, Byfield. Uh, and they just wanted that prototypical, big, fast skater in the middle. Uh, they got a star. So I think they're happy. It's, you know, uh, whether Gabe Velarde emerged or not, um, they needed that no question, no brainer star player. They believe they got him in Quentin Byfield. Um, so they're thrilled about that. And for all the, you know, the quote-unquote experts that said they were leading to Stutzla, I don't think they ever were. I think this was the, the player they were focusing on. Um, they had a little bit more runway, obviously, since the draft has moved back from June. Uh, but this is the player they want. They're thrilled with him, and hopefully he's uh, the heir apparent to Kopitar. Uh, it gives them a surplus in the middle, James, because they've got Velarde playing in the middle. Uh, they've got Anderson Dolan um, in the wings. They also have a kid like Akil Thomas, Alex Turcott. Some of these kids are going to have to move to the wing. You can't play seven centers the last time I checked. They only play four lines in the league. So um, so with respect to that, they're happy about that. Um, and with respect to the team itself, what they've done, uh, you know, James, um, they, they are going to be patient here, right? Because this was the year that they had a ton of cap space, they have $13 million in cap space. Um, they could have gone and been more aggressive in the marketplace, and they chose not to. So they believe this is a year – of evaluation for these prospects. The one thing I struggle with, James, is that, you know, Quentin Blackfield, you asked, when is he going to play in the NHL? Don't think he's going to be there this year. Uh, the question is, when does the OHL get going? So do you really sit him on the sidelines? What I would have liked to see him done is uh, the Cab the Kings broker a deal with the OHL team in Sudbury and send him overseas, play in Europe right now, because the, the leagues are playing in Europe. Let him play against some men, you know, way, way back in the day. I'm old enough to remember when Kopitar uh, was drafted. He went over was playing in the Swe- uh, Swedish Elite League for a couple of years. Right, um, Just having him sit on the silence isn't really good. Is he good enough to make this team? I think he is, but I don't think you want to rush a kid who's what, just going to turn 18 years old soon. He's one of the youngest kids in the draft. So uh, my assumption, James, he'll go back to Sudbury, play in the OHL and dominate. I'm not sure that's great for his 
development, to be honest with you, to go back and dominate again. Uh, but there aren't a lot of, a lot of options for, uh, um, for Quentin. But I think eventually some point, you know, probably two, three years from now, um, it would be great if Byfield was the number one center and Copa Tarhoid was number two when Copa's about 35 or 36 years old. I think that's a nice progression. And, and they do certainly have talent around them. It's just all the prospects aren't proven at the NHL level yet. So a lot to unpack there. So let's start with with Byfield first. So it would be nice to see him go play overseas because obviously there's a lot of different things going on with the OHL, not only just getting back on the ice, but the talk of no contact and different things like that to be able to play, which could hinder development as well, right, and slow it down at that point too. Um, sure. I look at Quinton Byfield and I say, I would love for him, and I, I kind of disagree. In fact, I think it would be awesome for him to go back and dominate junior and not only just junior, but go and dominate the world juniors as well. Because you look at Lafreniere, yeah, same yeah. thing. He had that year we went. He wasn't the big show. Then last year he was the big show. I think that would be huge, kind of a coming out for Quentin Byfield, even though he's already there and drafted second overall. But then he gets that experience, the big stage, et cetera, et cetera. And then you start you know, easing him towards the LA Kings. But the, the big fly in the ointment really is if the OHL doesn't get going anytime soon, you're right. He's sitting and he's cooling, and what does that do for all of these guys who are trying to develop? These are prime years where you want to make sure you're constantly hitting new targets, new goals, and learning things and making sure that you're sponging all the information you can. And if he can't go overseas, he can't play in the AHL, and the NHL isn't even going until January, February, what does this do for these young guys right here? Yeah, it, it's tough, Jay. I mean, they do have prospects playing in Germany right now. Yeah. So they have Turcotte over there. Have Madden. Madden, I believe, broke his finger over there, so it's not always the greatest thing over there. The only option is would be make him the 14 forward in L.A. and have him practice and just play in a handful of games, maybe not go over nine-game stretch. They, they might have to readjust you know, nine-game junior prospect thing um, if they're not going to play 82 games, but... Would it be the worst thing in the world to make the team as the 14th forward and be practicing with Kopitar and you know and Brown and and Carter and all the other major league players for a season? That wouldn't be the worst thing either because you, as you mentioned, the O is a huge question mark at this point in time, and you can't really. Do you want to lose a year of development? I mean, the, the challenge of going over the year, like going to the Swedish Elite League, the problem there is that you have to play in the second tier because if you get to sign by Sudbury to the uh, a team in a SHL, the elite league, he has to stay there the entire season and don't necessarily want to lock him into an entire season in Sweden. So you see these kids when they do get over, not just Kings uh, prospects, but other players that are going over to Sweden, they're playing in the second tier league because those are players that can be released once hockey gets started in North America. So, um, look, it wouldn't be the worst thing ever would be the 14th best forward in training camp to make the team in Los Angeles, yeah, but you don't want to rush the kid. I understand that. Um, it's just very, very tricky with respect to how you develop him because the one thing you don't want to happen, James, is you don't want him to lose an entire year of development. No. Which, you know, it, it, maybe the odds aren't great, but it, the possibility still exists at this point. Well, you know, you look at the fact that it's probably going to be a little bit of a stagnant year for a lot of prospects, no matter how you slice it. Unless you're already a part of an NHL organization and there's deals, like you said, like Turcotte, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of players over there playing right now that are younger. But for some guys, it's just not going to be where it needs to be. And my biggest question that I ask everyone is, you know, if the OHL does come back and it does not allow hitting, does the NHL team then just say, you know what, we are going to make these guys our 14th forward or they are going to be our practice guys or whatever they're going to be for our season because – 
You need that at this point in the development for a guy like Byfield or Stutzel or you name it throughout the draft. Rossi, keep going on and on. You need to have yep. that contact and that development because if you take that away at this point of the game, then you're throwing these guys into an NHL training camp where it's full bore, full contact, and they've missed out on that for right. a year. So, I mean, where where are they well, going to be at mentally when a guy comes up and grinds against the boards? They don't have that. They, you know, that's a, right. I know they've, it's been in them for so long, but if you take that away for a year, that's a year of hands-off, and I, I don't like that. Yeah, well, the one option that may happen is, James, is if they decide because, look, I think the theory is maybe we're not playing 82, maybe playing 70, 60, whatever, right? So it's going to be a compacted schedule. i got to think they're going to expand the rosters. So then they have like a, a taxi squad where you might have on any given night 23 guy, players activated and maybe five on a taxi squad that you could swap in and out like they're doing with baseball. Baseball, so If you have that, then these kids definitely should be here. Yeah. Then that would be the best luxury for LA that they can have a practice squad that that Byfield could play on and practice with every day with the NHL players. That would that would be a great remedy for the situation. Could that be happening? It could be because I look in every other sport and they've expanded rosters, so um, that could be an option. If it is, that would be a great option for Byfield. Don't put any game night pressure on them, but having practicing every day is the speed and skill of NHL and NHL goaltenders as well. Because you mentioned, yeah, if he goes back to the yellow and I get the, 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 the your, your take with respect to playing the World Juniors and have letting him shine there. That's great for his confidence, but after that tournament, then what do you do with him? So that's that's yeah. the one question. But if they do expand the rosters and you get to maybe twenty eight, I think that would be a great landing place for him from his development standpoint. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. It would be exciting to have to go to practice if he couldn't buy him here in Los Angeles every day. Uh, but that remains to be seen with respect to how the NHL uh, is going to form their season. Well, you know, we'll talk about the season and what's going to happen there in just a little bit, but I want to do the LA Kings. So, I mean, we talk about Byfield, the excitement around Byfield, all the young guys, Flaherty, Turcotte, um, you know, and you look at the, the stalwarts that are there, and Alonso Kopitar and Jeff Carter, yeah. Brownie, all these guys, um, you know, and I, I made the joke just before we recorded, you know, it's kind of crickets, you know, about getting anything signed or yeah. done in the off season. And I'm wondering for you, as much as this is an evaluation as a young player's, are they not looking at these veterans outside of Anze Kopitar and maybe Drew Doughty and Johnny Quick, but are you not looking at these other guys like Carter and Brown, et cetera, who are on a little bit of bigger tickets and seeing what they have left in the tank? We've seen a lot of teams do buyouts, and I know you guys have $13 million in cap space, but, I mean, cap space is going to be a valuable commodity again next summer with a stagnant cap. So are these players that have yeah. been here forever, are they not under the microscope as well to perform and see if they're going to be able to you know, carry this forward with this team because obviously LA is going to want to build around Quinton Byfield and Velarde and Turcotte, etc., and, and build this team out and make it back to what it was when they were winning Stanley Cups and playoff rounds. And you do that by, you know, drafting well, but also dipping in the free agent pool. And I know LA likes to make splashes. So I'm wondering in, in your eyes, is it a, a year for these guys who have been here for a long time? that they have to show their worth as well. Otherwise, they might be packing up at the end of next season. Possibly, but you know, they have so much cap space the following season. Like They have $13 million, but they've got 28 after that season. Because, True. you know, you got uh, – so I'm not really – because here's, what the, here's the deal in Los Angeles. Here's why they didn't make any moves. Rob Blake was on the record about saying they have, um, what, eleven, almost $11 million in that good cap space, the two contract combinations, Copal Chuck and Richards, and then the buyout of Beyond Enough. So there's 
$11 million right there on top of the 13 cap space. Like, they could have made moves, James. So I think in the big picture, I think this team is a budget team, to be totally frank, because they could have made moves. You know, Taylor Hall signed for $8 million in Buffalo, right? If the Kings offered six and a half or seven to play with Drew Doughty and Kopitar, what might have came possibly, they could have made other moves. The only offseason move they made was Ole Mata, and they got retained salary deal on that as well. They got saved $750,000. So Rob said, I can't make any moves because of the dead cap space. My response is, well, you got $13 million on top of that dead cap space. You could have made moves. That's a signal to me that management said just, hey, calm down, wait a minute. Now, the flip side of that is they need the players to develop. All these prospects that you mentioned, James, they want to evaluate these players. The problem is that Rob said that at the end of the last season, opening roster looks going to look a lot like it did at the end of the season. So it means that guys like you know, Trevor Moore and Adrian Kempe and Martin Fuck are going to be in a lot of not these prospects. So you're not going to evaluate, if you're not going to evaluate the prospects – at the NHL level, we are you going to evaluate them? In juniors, at the AHL level, uh, it, to me, there's a little bit of, like, it's a little bit of disconnect with respect to the strategy. But they weren't aggressive. I don't blame them for not being aggressive. But when you look at a team that was, what, 30th in scoring last year, and you only added Ole Mata, you're going to have to assume that some of these kids are going to emerge. Um, you're going to have to assume a guy like Alex Iafalo, who had a great season as every year has progressed, doesn't regress. I have a lot of questions about this team offensively, and that's why I don't think they're close to a playoff this year uh, because I just think there's too many question marks in middle six. They don't have enough. Like, Gabe Velarde, people saying, you know, they're assuming Gabe Velarde's going to score 50, 55 points. He had a great start, but he had seven points in ten games. That's not a validation that this kid is a, a 25-25 score. Martin Fork, yeah, we know about his slap shot, 109 miles an hour, but he's a career minor leaguer. Trevor Moore was a throwing on one of the, the trades with Toronto, yep. right? Um, Adrian, Adrian Kempe is an enigma. He should be better. He should get 20 goals, but there's so many question marks here. Jeff Carter, you mentioned. Jeff Carter's coming off core surgery at 36 years old, right? And I know he's always he always is able to find a net, but now he's starting to play right wing on the third line. Is he going to be able to play that amount of minutes? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to stay healthy? There's just so many question marks here, James. I would like to see this team be more aggressive, but it tells me that I don't really think they're going to be in the mix. I think they think they'll be improved, but when we're talking about playoffs and we're talking about three quarters, uh, or we're talking about the trade deadline, do I think they're going to be in the mix? No. So could they trade a Kopitar, uh, not a, a Brown or a Carter? They could. But they both have one year left after next season. And, and he, Carter sits 5-2, but his cash is, I think, $2 million a year. Brown, I don't see them probably. Now, they could be exposed and maybe a team wants some leadership and you would take Dustin Brown off his roster. I doubt it. I think it will be one of the lower kids, maybe like a, a Wagner or a Lopes. So I don't think they have a lot to prove. I think they're locked in and comfortable with Brown and Carter. The last two seasons, they do provide leadership in the room. Um, so I don't see any moves there. I don't see any buyouts. Because, again, look, they have to terminate the, the contract of Kovalchuk. They're, not, they're done with buyouts, and they bought out for enough. They're paying you know, $10 million on these two contracts. I don't think Andrews Entertainment Group wants to go through that again. So I think they'll let these guys play out the contract. And with Brown, you know, Brown can have a situation. And, look, friends with a guy, I know him personally. I think the, the, the message to the organization to him that he could keep playing if he stays in shape. Is he going to play for $6 million a year? No. But if he wants to play, you know, for a couple million a year, he could have a situation like Joe Thornton where he might do year by year. Jeff Carter, I think Jeff Carter after his contract's over is going to retire. So I think they're in two different mindsets. So I don't think um, 
to answer your original question, Vince, I don't think they're in danger of buyouts if they don't produce this year because, again, there's only one year left on the contract. So, But I just think this is a, a year of a lot of evaluation. It's just that my concern is how do you evaluate the young talent if you're not playing them at the NHL level by keeping these placeholders in like the guys I mentioned? Yeah, well, exactly. And the, the, other, the other shoe that has to drop, too, is what do you tell the fan base? I mean, obviously, everybody's excited for young players. Um, but if you're not taking that growth, like you just said, you know, if these guys don't take that step, then what happens? Do alarm bells start going off? Do you start wondering what's going to happen with the squad or who you're going to bring in to augment yeah. this? Or, you know, okay, maybe, I'm not going to say it's true, but maybe Velarde doesn't work out or Turcotte or something of those right. don't hit. And then you don't start hitting on these guys and all of a sudden it's like, oh God, okay, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't batten down the hatches. We didn't go get X or we didn't do X. And fan, you know how fans are. They're the ficklest bunch. And, you know, being a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, you know, we see it all on a daily basis. I mean, even in the good times right now, it's still bad. So yeah. I'm wondering for you, what do you think that Rob Blake and crew are trying to prepare for the fans basically to say, hey, give us a moment, give us a minute to breathe. You know, I know he's come out and said some things, but for this season right here, every fan wants their team to make the playoffs. It's why you buy a ticket. It's why right. you cheer. It's why you're exciting. So if you were looking for a message from Rob Blake, what is it to fans this year? Is it like the New York Rangers said that one season, to wait and be patient and we're coming with what we need to come and next thing you know, all these guys start hitting and, you know, it's all roses, everything's coming up aces, or is it... This is a wait-and-see yeah. approach, and trust us, we know what we're doing. Well, I think, Gene, part of it is um, they've done a good job of promoting their young players, right? right? Just get, getting positive you know, reviews about their players. If you look at all the reviews of the gurus, LA's at the top of the, the prospect list. Like, uh, by and large, every single guy that does that for a living says the Kings have a great nucleus of, ta- of young talent. The, the question, you know, I, I always joke, my old saying is, you know, prospects are cool, but rings are cooler. Would you rather be L.A. or would you rather be Tampa, right? I'd rather be Tampa. And I want to, if I'm a GM, I would have been more aggressive. But they're just saying, patience, let's see this year, like, get, get excited. You might see, I mean, some of these kids are going to be playing the in, in, in the AHL if that ever gets going. So, you know, go to Ontario, take a drive down the 10 freeway, and go see the prospects playing in, uh, in Ontario. Now, the one saver they may have, James, is that, you know, when you talk about competing for a playoff spot and everybody wants to make the playoffs, do I think the way the Kings are personally constituted by just adding Olimata makes them a playoff team? No. But consider this. Look at the teams that would have qualified for the postseason um, ahead of the Kings in, in the division, right? Minnesota, they're in a rebuild. Yep. Like Arizona, they don't have a clue. Chicago just announced they're rebuilding, and the, there's a mini revolt there with Taves and Kane. And the Ducks aren't any better than the Kings. So if there was some progression by the Kings next season, let's say that seven-game winning streak at the end of the season wasn't a red herring, right? Could they pass a Minnesota and Arizona and a Chicago and an Anaheim? Yeah, they could, and that would put them in the mix with the bottom feeders in the, in the conference, like a Winnipeg or a Calgary or a Vancouver um, that has lost team players as well. So I think by the, the other teams being weaker, that might help this team if they're just staying status quo. So I think that's one of the arguments that we're patient we actually might be in the mix anyway with this team right now. But, again, James, I look at this team offensively. I see how they struggle. They struggle on the power play to score. They're a little bit better some games. But I tell you, it comes down to one game, one guy, okay? Drew Doughty. Like, he has to be like the old Drew Doughty. Like, not the, not the last two seasons Drew Doughty, who went from 60 points to 45 to 35 and was, a, James, 
a minus 50 in the last two seasons. I don't care if you're on the eyes for empty net goals. Like, you should not be a minus 50, right? Because I look at Roman Yossi, and Nashville wasn't great this year, and he was a, a, a Norris nominee. Drew Doughty needs to be Drew Doughty again. I don't know what's going on. I think part of it is maybe the contract. He got paid. Uh, I, I, he's never been in the best of shape, so I question his conditioning. But you can't. that can't be acceptable for this player. This player has to come back in. Now he's the highest paid player on the team. He has to come back in, James, and say, I've got to be a, a, you know, a Norris Trophy candidate this year. I've got to play at that level. I don't want to hear about excuses about how the team isn't any good, or he doesn't have the right partner, or he needs another a better player to play with, you know, he just has to be come in and be a dominant player from game one of the season, or else, then you can say it's a bad contract, James, because he's not been motivated to play the last two seasons. I know the team hasn't been good, but you can't you can't go from plus 24, plus 8, plus 23, to minus 34, minus 16, and still say that you're one of the elite defensemen in the league. I know there's media in this town that says he's still one of the most elite player, elite defensemen. In the, in the, in the league, he's not. He's clearly not at this point. Like, if I was starting a team right now, I wouldn't be picking Drew Daddy. I'd be picking Victor Hedman. I'd be picking Norman Nielsen. I'd be picking John Carson. So, with all that said, if all these other players emerge, if Drew does not raise his level next season, they won't be close to a playoff because if you look behind them, they don't have. If they, if they didn't have Drew Daddy on the blue line, boy, they'd be really in, in a lot of trouble because, I, look, I said it this way. If I want to promote Drew Doughty, all I have to do is this. Last year, as the media here in L.A., we voted on the Kings' best defenseman. It was Matt Roy. In a million years, Matt Roy, and I like him, and he's emerged, and he's a solid player, he should never be voted the best defenseman on the team, ever. Ever. We're making $11 million. So to me, James, he's the key. So when you talk about the prospects, you talk about Carter and Duncan and whatever. If Drew Downey's going to play at this level again next season, they don't have a shot at the playoffs, to be totally frank. Well, the money he's making. I mean, there's, you know, the saying in the NHK, that's show me money. Show me. Because you, you have to. Like, oh, my God, you're making that much money. You have to show up every night and be the absolute difference maker. And yeah. he hasn't been. And you know what? It starts to get a little bit, like I said earlier, but alarm bells. You look at Drew Doughty the past two seasons and you say, okay, alarm bells, is this what he is now? Is the regression right. really there? Is this what's going to happen? Is he going to be going downhill? And are we all of a sudden on the hook for this bad contract? And Drew Doughty is just what Drew Doughty is. I don't want to say that because I think the fire burns in the guy and he wants to win. But you also got to match that on the ice with your attitude and the way you play. And yeah. if you're making that much money, you better be showing up, showing me every single night that you are the guy you think you are in your head, and you are the guy that a lot of people around the league still throw you up on all the fantasy boards and say, he's an elite defenseman. You better be what they say you are. If you're not, then we got a big, big problem because that becomes an albatross around the neck of the LA Kings. Absolutely. And he, he should be, he, it's not like he, he was never at that level. He was a dominant, you know, cup winning, Olympic gold medal winning player. Right? 100%. The promising. Yeah, the, the, what I saw last season, like he was only motivated when he played Calgary because of Matthew Kachuk. Like he wanted to win those games bad, and they scored an overtime goal, and bang on the glass, and flip off the fans. I didn't see a, a very engaged player. I didn't see a guy who burned to, to compete, and it, it's troubling. Now maybe I, I think two seasons ago the coaching situation really, you know, having Willie Desjardins that did nobody any any good. And I think of Rob Blake had one. Mulligan that he liked to take back who have been 
putting Willie Desjardins in there as a as an interim coach. But last season now with with um, Tom Con, who I love, who I think is a great selection by the Kings. Like you better play good this year. I'll give them the two off, but you got to come back in and say, hey, look. I sucked the last two years. I've been really been terrible. I own it, and I need to be the best player on this team. So we'll find out if he is or not. But I think this is the key year, Jim, because it, as crazy as it sounds, it could tip the other way. He could not be a dominant player, and he could be an overpaid player by the time we get to end the next season if he performs a third season like he did the last two. That's the concern, right? That's where it starts to get a little bit nerve-wracking, where you, you look at a player that you're paying that much money, and you know what he's capable of and what he's done. But, you know, Father Time obviously waits for no man. And some people go downhill a little quicker than others. And we've seen it over the years. Many different players, many different places. And this may be a case of that. I hope it's not. Because two years ago, three years ago, every fan of every NHL team was clamoring at the fact of, hey, maybe we can get Drew Doughty. Maybe Drew Doughty will come to our team. And, you know, there was all these... You know, people putting all these fantasy things out. Oh, Drew Doughty would look good on the Leafs. Drew Doughty would look good with the Connor McDavid. Right. You know, looking at him on a Montreal Canadian. You know, all these different things. And he didn't really, you know, snuff some of that out. Sometimes, you know, he came out himself. And right. I remember the comments about Toronto, you know. So he didn't really service the fan base too well before he signed that deal either. But I hope Drew bounces back. I, I really do. And I want to see the LA Kings in the mix because... What better story was it when they went on that Cinderella run, slipping in at eight and winning the cup? Right. That was huge, absolutely huge. And it put all those guys on the map, and, you know, you show me a cup winner, and I'll show you a guy that probably got a contract a year after that that maybe shouldn't have, but everybody's still in that honeymoon phase and feeling good about themselves. Sure. So that that's, you know, it, it's what happens. But you guys are ushering in a new group of talent, and Quentin Byfield, I think, right now is going to be the big star of all of that. And he'll go along with everybody else you have there. Um, the one question before we put a bow on the the LA Kings, and I'll ask you, I know you say about the offense and you say about the power play. If Johnny Quick and Drew Doughty are on top of their game, you think they can uh, eke out those four teams, the minis, the uh, Chicago's, et cetera, and, and slide in and surprise some people? Because that would be great for the young guys as well for confidence. Um. <clears throat> They love the way they finished the season. They finished on a seven-game winning streak, but that was, what, eight months ago? So yeah. can't, that's not going to carry over. The way John Quick played, and, and the way they won those seven games, they won a lot with goaltending. Both Quick and Peterson um, were great, Cal Peterson. I, I think what you're going to see next season is at least a net to start. It's going to be a 50-50 split of the games because, again, remember, they're going to have a, probably have a compacted schedule. You're going to play three games in four nights. You're going to play multiple games in a week. You're not going to play your goalie. If you play four games in seven nights, you're not playing the goalie all four games. So I think it's going to be 50-50 split. Um, they like what they have in goals. They didn't make any moves with respect to the net. They like their prospects uh, that they have in the system. They like what Quick and Peterson did. Do I think that Pical will emerge to be the starter before the end of the season? I do. Uh, but like, they like that. So, yeah, so if Drew gets back to that level... If they have solid goaltending, could they compete? Yeah. Here's what they have to do, James. I think what they would have to do is, whatever the trade deadline is, let's say it's three quarters into the season, they'll have to go get another score. If, if they think they're going to be close enough, that they're going to be playing games of consequence in the last quarter of the season, I will go out and get a scoring winger. That's what they would have to do. I just don't see enough um, in uh, on this roster to say this team is going to consistently score every night. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully you get some emergency for some of these wingers. But I think what will happen is Rob will have to assess where they stand and use one of these assets. So use, you know, a second or third round pick to 
go get a score for a team that may be cap-strapped or may be out of contention. I think that's the movie he would have to make um, once we get into the season, if they're close at the, the, uh, at the trade deadline. And if they are, and again, like I said, if you, look at, if you analyze these other teams around them, they've progressed as well. So I think they may have a shot. It's just, a, it's, again, it's about their offense. I'm just pessimistic with respect to uh, really them moving the needle with respect to goal scoring. But if they do and they're close to the trade deadline, I would advocate Trump, uh, uh, trading for a score. And that score may be the guy you mentioned earlier when we talked about free agents and the $8 million going to Buffalo for Taylor Hall. Maybe that's where you spend the assets, you know, bring in that goal-scoring winger, you know, a big name, pump up the guys a little bit because it's also a feel-good thing. If you're in the hunt, I remember back here in the Toronto market when the Blue Jays were in the hunt and they did not spend at that trade deadline, they did not go get players, and just how dejected everyone was. And it's same thing with the Maple Leafs a couple seasons ago. They didn't go and do much. They went and spent a second-round pick and brought in Placanics, and all the guys were kind of grumbling. You know, you want more help. You want to, you want your efforts to be rewarded. So if these guys go and they make that push, you know, rewarding their efforts. And I know asset management is huge these days, especially first-round picks and prospects. But sometimes when you gain that capital, you got to spend it. And, you know, if you're in the hunt, right. go get a Taylor Hall or go get somebody who's on one of these one-year deals and, and have a little run, have a little fun and show these guys, hey, if you guys do the work, we'll reward you and we will bring somebody in. And I can see that happening. I can see it happening and I can see them going on a little bit of a tear. I don't think that was a herring. I think the uh, the tandem for the goaltending is going to be sweet. And I think a lot of teams in the NHL, Toronto included, will be adopting that uh, philosophy that Boston has run with so well over the years. Yeah, and, and again, all the Kings prospects, you can't play them all. You can't. You got guys, seven guys who drafted the centers. Like, yep. You can't fit them all in the lineup. So, uh, so you're going to have this excess capital. And again, when they go into next year's draft, they have an additional second, third, and fourth round pick. I mean, at some point in time, and that's that's the great thing Lombardi did. Right? If you look at the history of the Kings, Dean Lombardi was not a good drafter. He didn't do well in the draft. He made amazing trades like Krzyznowski for Green and Stoll, you know, getting Justin Williams in, right? I, I just He made great trades. That's what he did. Did he overstep his reach? Yeah, but you mentioned about helping him. That's what Dean used to say at the deadline when he made those big moves. My team showed me they wanted help. So I went out and gave my team help so there wouldn't be excuses. And that's what this team will have to show. If they're that close, they're going to have to show Rob Blake that they're in it, they're competitive, and they, want the, they need the additional help. That's what you see. I wouldn't just advocate trading for a score if the team's not in the mix. If anything, you might want to trade away team. But the one thing Rob had not done, right, he's drafted well, obviously, but look, my field was a no-brainer. I get it. I understand. Turcotte, not really sure about it. What he's going to have to do here is, at some point, the one thing he hasn't done is he's not brought an established talent. He's created trading it away. He traded away Martinez. He traded away Pearson. He traded away Toffoli. He, he hasn't brought in any talent. He's going to have to bring in established talent to combine with the older core, like Kopitar and Dowdy, the kids that are coming. There has to be a second level. There has to be a third strata of player that's established in this league, has proven they can score, and help this team get to a postseason. There. And uh, my assumption is it's not going to come now. It might come in the deadline if they're close, but it would probably come next offseason where they'll have even more uh, – cap room, the dead cap space will go away and he'll make moves given he has all that draft capital and um, and prospects in his pool. Well, I'm looking forward to the LA Kings next season. We'll see what happens, obviously. 
I want them to make it. I would love to see them make it, especially now speaking with you all the time and, you know, the jabs back and forth. I'd love to see the LA Kings in the mix. Um, always exciting at trade deadlines when moves are made. So speaking of moves, I want to ask you, I said this before we jumped on, the Toronto Maple Leafs obviously made a lot of moves this offseason. It looked like a, a you know, about face by Kyle uh, Dubas, bringing in guys like Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, uh, you know, Bo, uh, oh my God, Brody, and all these different pieces onto this squad. I'm wondering for you, from an outsider's point of view, do you think the Toronto Maple Leafs properly addressed the needs that they had? And do you think this team is better suited for playoff hockey now? Um, I'm not sure. Look, are they tougher with Simmons and Bogosian in the lineup? Yeah. Um, you don't have that stop. You don't have – what you don't have on the team is the Hedman, the, the Yossi, that type of player. Like T.J. Brody on the top there with Morgan Riley. That's a risk. You needed another Jake Muzzin is what you needed. Yeah. Right? That, that's what you needed. So T.J. Brody, yeah, maybe, possibly. Uh, do I think they're better? Look, do I think that Boston is going to progress? I do. Okay. Montreal got better. Right? So do I look at this team and say, as they're, and, Toronto, and Tampa looks like they're going to muddle through their challenges and, and get these play, most of these players back. They're looking at this team the way the Presley Constitute and they think they can win the Stanley Cup. I don't. Unless, unless, James, you get amazing play from your sons, which you could. Matthews, Tavares, Thornton, Spezza. You could. Is that lineup deep enough to win a championship in the middle? Yeah, it is. Is the defense and the goaltending? No, to be totally frank. Well, should they be better? I think so. I, I think they learned from the Kyle Clifford experiment that they do need toughness on the bottom six. And they got it, right? Jimmy Vesey's a wild card, although he's never really produced anywhere, right? So I'm, I'm, they'll be tougher. Um, they'll be a little bit more gone. Because now here's what's happening, James. It's a copycat league, yep. right? Everybody saw what Tampa did. Highly skilled team, no grinders. They traded for Barkley Goodger. They traded for Blake Coleman. They signed Bogosian. They signed Luke Shen, who's slow, right? They, Right, so and they got that grinding toughness sandpaper, and they won a championship. So what's Dubas thinking? Okay, my top six is set. I need to embellish my bottom six with more toughness, with more veteran leadership. I got a guy like Bogosian on the third pair now. This should make my team better equipped for a Stanley Cup run. I don't know. I, I, James, to me, it doesn't look like a four-round team in the postseason. It just doesn't. There's just not enough there. I mean, I would trade Kerfoot maybe for another defenseman. But that's me. So I think you're stuck with that player. Because right now, what is he? He projects a one with second line left wing. I, I just, there's not enough there, James. I mean, you would have to have, like, Austin and JT and Nylander and Marner all put up MVP seasons. If they were totally dominant players in the postseason, which they haven't been, could they win a championship? I guess so. It's just that I look at the way Tampa won, and they have Hedman and they have Vasilevsky. Who on the lease is Vasilevsky and Hedman? There isn't one. So could it happen? Because you look, I look at them more like Dallas. Could they get to a cup final? I guess they could. Like if you can get to a cup final, you know, uh, the way Dallas was playing, I, I guess so. With Kudobin as your as your goaltender, I guess Freddie could play as good as Kudobin. It's just my question is, like, how are they going to defend in the postseason? It, it's just not that stopper on defense, and I'm not considering Zach Bogosian a stopper. So that's my question, 
right? It, it's like, do they have the talent to get to the level where they could run through the East? I guess they could. I, I just, I, I'm just not confident enough that this mix of players that Cobb put together is going to get you to a cup final. So, could win a couple rounds? Yeah. Could, could Austin go on a tear and carry the team for a couple rounds with JT? Yeah, absolutely they could. So I think it could go four rounds and you get to a really, really good team. Like if you had a matchup against Tampa Bay in the, in the conference final, would I pick the Leafs? No. I think it's clearing the hurdles of the first two rounds, James. If you could do that as a Leafs fan, then I'd be optimistic about them going two more rounds. I just there's just not enough there's just not enough on the blue line and the net for me to think that okay this is going to be one of the favorite teams next season. Like I compare their blue line and goaltending to what's in Vegas. There's no question who has a better defense and goaltending when you compare it to a team like Vegas. So again, I, I think they'll be like a probably a third or fourth choice to go to a cup in the conference. Um, I think they'll be better. I think the most improved the team. The approval enough to go to four rounds, I don't see it happening. So in your honest opinion, you look at the squad then, and obviously the moves that were made and the jokes that have been made about the Toronto Maple Leafs, they brought in the old man line, you know, how are they going to get up and down the ice, <laughs> you know, with Thornton and Simmons and Spezza and, you know, the names, even Bogosian, you know, he's not the most fleet of foot either. Um for you, what you talk about a Jake Muzzin type, and that's what Kyle Dubas said at the uh, end of the season presser. If he can clone Jake Muzzin seven times, he would just to have him yeah. in the lineup and a spare if one got hurt. But um, you look at this squad, and they project Kerfoot to be the third line center, great penalty killer. Showed that in the, the playoffs. If he can bring that and that energy level, and maybe that uh, is something that helps the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I look at this squad, and I look at it on paper. I get excited because of the name value. But I look at the players that need to deliver. And, you know, with Tampa winning the Cup, it was all the players who had to deliver, delivered. Kucherov, uh, Stamkos, when he played the one game, scored the goal. You know, everybody who needed to step up. Hedman, Vasilevsky, down the line, everybody did their job. So if the Toronto Maple Leafs were to do the same thing and replicate that, you would need those MVP types, like you said, from every one of those players. And I'm wondering, is it an age thing for these younger guys to start to progress and take those steps now that you have this veteran leadership around you in the Spetses, the Thorntons, the Bogosians, the Simmons, guys that won't take the little, you know, beaking from younger players and say, hey, this is what you need to do to win. If you don't want to win, you know, get the hell out of my way because I'm here to win. I signed a deal here to win. And these younger guys need to learn that and take that step. And maybe they start to take that realizing, hey, they're bringing in more guys than they're keeping. So maybe we need to start <laughs> giving our heads a shake and get to playing. Yeah, well, well again, here's the challenge. I mean, Austin's making $11 million, John's making $11 million, Martin's making ten. Like, You know, it, it's got to come from within. Yep. They're not playing for contracts. They're not playing for their careers. They're playing for their pride. They're playing for a, now a championship they, at a young age. Right? These kids are, what, 23 years old? JT's 30, obviously, so he's a veteran at this point in time. But Austin and, and, and Marner, they're 23 years old, making $10 million, $11 million a year. Like, come on. Like, you know, that that's, like, they it has to come for them. They have to burn and win a championship. I'm just, I, the mix, it's not fantasy hockey, right? This is real hockey. And there's that mix of players adding, but look, they knew they had to be tougher, right? I mean, you saw, it's not just getting Carl Clifford in to, uh, to fight on the ice. It's the leadership in the room. It's the fact that he won two championships in Los Angeles. That's that component they had. So, look, 
Joe's never won. Wayne's never won. But they are quality guys. Like, I love Joe Thornton. He's going to be great in, in Toronto. I just thought he just has a joy for the city. Yeah, I talked to him last year at the NHL Awards, not this summer, the prior summer, and there was some question about him coming back. I said, Joe, what's the deal? He goes, I can play another five years. He has a passion for this game. The limited minutes, he still, you know, he was effective in San Jose. And you saw what the players, the players were, guys like um, Logan Couture broken harder when Joe left. I mean, he was there 15 years, right? So the one thing is that if you're a Leafs fan, you're going to be hot by the fact that Joe said, I want to win a cup. It's the last thing they're going to do. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I've gotten paid. I want to win a cup. I can't do it in San Jose. I believe I could do it in Toronto. So that's, that's, a, that's a good sign. Same thing with Wayne Simmons. I want to chase a cup. And the thing about Simmons and Bogosian, we look at them as old players. Wayne's 32. Bogosian's 30. They're not that old, right? Joe is that old. Joe's 41, right? So that's <laughs> yeah. there's a question mark, right? So he's that old, right? But the fact they can do it, and he's still an effective player. He's smart. His IQ's off the chart. He stays in great shape. You know, he's over in Switzerland playing right now. When the season starts, he's going to come back. So I think there's, there's those moves, to me, were very positive moves. To have Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and Bogosian who won a cup in your room, like, that's a positive thing. That's not a negative thing. Because, yeah, they're not the fastest players in the world. But as we learned, that, you know, Tampa did have some really fast guys, and they're not so fast. Like, Luke Shen is one of the slowest skaters in the league. He's wearing a ring right now. And he was effective in the postseason. So it, it depends how, you know, how the coach, how Keith utilizes these older players. Like, what kind of minutes? Is it fourth-line duty? Is it third-line duty? Is it second power play role? So I get the moves. I understand them. I think that everybody understands now is that you just can't have the most skilled team, James, to win a championship. It doesn't work like that. And Tampa took it over, you know, got their brains beat in for a couple of years and got criticized heavily because they did have the most skilled team, but they had to understand that it was about a combination of spill, skill and guts and sandpaper that wins you championships. And that's why, because some nights, that Barkley control gun was their best was their best line. Yep. Some nights, you know, Point, Point and Kucherov didn't score, and they still won games, but they'd be able to limit the... And remember, we always talk about their offense names, because you mentioned the big names. But you look at Tampa, Tampa limited Dallas's offense. That's why, because Dallas, remember, against Calgary, they just blew it up. They didn't get that many chances. They they weren't getting many shots on goal against Tampa. So it's, I think it's going back to the defense and shot suppression. The question is, can Keith make this team their mindset change? Because they want to go the one way of the ice. They want to go up the ice, up the ice. It doesn't work like that in the postseason. It's about you know shot suppression. It's about puck position. Does this team do it? When I look at the defense, that's my one concern, James. I think. I've always liked Freddie Anderson. I had a tough go in Anaheim, and he faced a lot of rubber in Toronto in his first couple of years. I think he's good enough that if you put a really solid team in front of him, he could win a championship. But, I, again, I don't see this team. They have to change their style a little bit. They have to become a little bit more of a grinding team. right? And you know what it is? It, it starts at the top. I'll draw a parallel for you, James. Like, you watched Edmonton play in the postseason, and they were terrible. And they lost to a Chicago team that was 24th in the league. Right. And you know why? Because they didn't play defense. And it's not because Ethan Bear or Gar didn't play defense. It's because the guys at the top of the line. Connor McDavid, uh, he's never going to want to sell here. He's got to make some sort of commitment to playing defense. And until he does, the rest of the team won't. So, and, and to, that, that's what you mean. Now, I'm not saying 
come back on every, be a two different player every game, come back and 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 check in your own zone. But you got to show a little bit of effort on defensive side, which kind of doesn't do yet. He's got to do that. So what does that mean? It means that Austin and Mitch, they've got to be committed to the the defensive side of the uh, the, the rink. Right? They've got to show and lead by example the rest of the team. Like, oh, these guys are coming back, finishing checks, defending better. That's what they need to do. Right? And if it starts at the top and they, their mindset's different defensively, James, because they can do what they can score 300 goals next season. You know what happens in the postseason? After the first round, you stop scoring and it you got to play up, defense. Yep. So that, yeah. So so that's that's can Sheldon Keith get this team in a mindset? Because a, I'm going to assume they're going to make the postseason. But B, can they play defensive style of hockey that's needed in the postseason for a deep run? I'm not sure, and I think that's the big question. So I think that we'll go through that exercise of the regular season. This team will make it. They'll be criticized last night whenever they lose a game in Toronto. But I think once we get to the postseason, is does this team have a championship mindset of what it takes to win a Stanley Cup? I think that's the fun part about putting these teams together and seeing what happens, right? Whether it's the LA Kings and the young players or Toronto with guys that are trying to get over the hurdle of winning a damn playoff round is, you know, you see it all on paper and you want to see how it plays out. Speaking of seeing it all, you were able to see some of it all in the Edmonton bubble. Um, what was your experience like there, my friend? I want to know a little bit about it. Um, you know, was it as stressful as some made it seem? Was yeah. it as cool as some made it seem? What was it for you, and what was the overall vibe that you got out of everything? Well, I don't think I'd ever spent 14 days in the hotel room again to see, uh, just sitting in an empty building watch the Stanley Cup final. It was very unique, James. It was weird. Um, and as a Canadian, you can appreciate this. Imagine going to a Stanley Cup final game in a Canadian city, which is rabid for hockey, leaving the building after the game is over, and the streets are desolate. There's nobody on the streets. That was my experience in, in Edmonton. Um, it was, like, totally weird. I was one of three Americans in the building covering the league because, again, we had to hit the 14-day quarantine. Thank you to the Edmonton Doubletree. They treated us great there. But it was it was totally weird. You know, there's a story about Matt DeFanks who wrote for the Dallas Morning News who tried to go in, through, in Canada through Vancouver. They stopped him at the border. Um, that he had three interviews, I think, from the customs agents, and they said, basically said, um, you're not an essential worker. Your newspaper could hire a Canadian writer to cover the, the, uh, the playoffs, so we're not going to let you in the country. He made him go to a hotel overnight and said, if you don't come back, we're going to issue a warrant for your arrest. Um, when he came back to the, to the uh, airport, he had two customs agents escort him to the gate to make sure he got back on the plane. I was more fortunate. Um, I tried to book my flight on Air Canada through Vancouver, and that was probably a warning sign. I couldn't check in online. I switched to WestJet. I flew through Calgary. I got to the custom agent, and he looked at me a little sketchy because I'm, you know, I'm from L.A., and he said, well, go talk to the, the Board of Health people. I gave him my plan, saying, look, I'm going to be spending two weeks at the Edmonton um, Doubletree. I have friends like Dave Cagnota, Irv Kafar, who I partnered with at, on the uh, Stanley Cup final coverage. Um, they could deliver me you know, groceries to my door. They couldn't come in. Um, I went on Instacart. I started eating cereal for breakfast, which I haven't done for 15 years. <laughs> so it's really weird. At 14, uh, so 14 days were up. I started going to building. First thing, James, and you've been in the building before. It was so freaking cold in that building because, again, there were no fans. Yeah. And it was like 15 meters. We had a perch at the top of the upper bowl. Um, there was there was really no facility. Like usually, when you go to a game in the media, there's a big spread of food and everything. There was basically coffee, tea, and a loaf of bread with like some pockets of uh, of, of 
uh, peanut butter, um, and that was it. So it was minimal. It was totally weird, freezing in the building. And, James, the whole thing is that I went up there to witness history because I was part of history. Yep. I didn't have any advantage of being in the building. It was all the access. There was no access. Like half the building was us. The other half was the bubble. You couldn't get over to the other side. Um, when I went in the building, basically they asked me if I had any symptoms. I said no. They did a temperature check to make sure I didn't have a fever. I was let in the building. Um, it was just t to walk on the streets of Edmonton for a Stanley Cup final, even when the Oilers weren't playing, and have nobody around you was like the weirdest sensation ever. They are building out a, a ice district there, so we went to the same restaurant, and I'll throw out a plug for our, our friends at Joey in Edmonton. Um, we go there, to, it was you know it was half full. It was just the weirdest thing. And my wife said, well, if if the Kings won it, would you do it again? I'm like, I don't see the reason to. I, I can't interview the players. Can't get close to anybody on the team. Um, it was just, I hope it never happens again. I pray for it. It was just the weirdest thing. It was, I, it wasn't even like cool, James. To be honest with you, it was just was a reminder of how screwed up we are right now with this virus. That was a reminder. Of it. it was like, hey, like I'm here and no one else is in the building and all the tops up. It's not the way it should be. Like, the sports is the best thing about the sport is it's fans. And not to have fans in the building for a Stanley Cup final, it's a crime. But I'm glad the players did it, but I will tell you this, James, there's no way they sign on for a bubble next season. There's just no way. It just it, it won't happen. Like, I, I just don't see it happening. Hopefully we'll be in a better place as we get deeper and deeper into 2021. Um, it was unique. It was special. I'm glad I did it. It was sacrificed. But, Jamie, here, here's my biggest takeaway. Imagine being the Dallas Stars. Imagine being that team that went through everything that Tampa Bay did and not win the Cup and yeah. come in second. I really feel for guys like Sagan and Ben and and, and Klingberg and Hudobin. That's who I really feel for, to go through that process. And it was tough, James, and it was, I, I can imagine, like it was tough for me. Like the first night I went to quarantine, I'm like, what am I doing? Let's just go home. This is, real, this is ridiculous. But uh, to sacrifice that these players made, I commend them for adhering to the protocol and staying in the bubble and getting us to a point where we did a Warner Stanley Cup. I can't see them doing it again. Any of these players talk to each other. So anybody that's got a pal on, you know, one of the final four teams, the final two teams, they're talking like, dude, I'll never do this again. Because, James, I get it. There were facilities. But how many times could you go to a golf simulator? How yeah. many times can you play Fortnite? How many times can you watch a movie? At the end, it was a more mental battle, I think, than physical. But, again, a lot of these players, you see Tyler Sagan, he might have to have two different surgeries and, and the, third, the third injury when he's done with it. So the sacrifice they made, I just think it was fantastic. I applaud the league for putting it together. I applaud the players for making the sacrifice. It was just a great united front by both the PA and the NHL to get there. Um, for me, I'm glad I witnessed history. I'm one of the few people that did. I would not do it again, and I would... You have to think long and hard to do it again because, again, if it's if you're an American, this happens again. You can be away from home for a month, and I, I don't see the sacrifice necessary to do it again. But I just pray that we're not in this space when we get to the playoffs for next season. Yeah, I look at next season, and you know, listening to your accounts of it right there, just for the media side of things, does not sound like a whole bucket of fun. And I can only imagine, like you said, you got these guys doing the same things over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I heard that the Toronto bubble was a little better than the Western bubble. 
um, with the you know amenities and things you could do and going outside and being at BMO Field, et cetera, et cetera. But there's only so much you can stand to be away. And imagine the fact, whether it's a 48-game season, 62-game, you name it, imagine being in a bubble for that long, then the playoffs on top of that with no break, you know, and just keep going. It's not going to happen. Um, so I'll ask you this final question before I let you go today, Dennis. You look at the NHL for next season, for the 2020-2021 season, do you see them starting a season next year? Or do you see, if there's no chance of a bubble, do you see them waiting until there's a vaccine and maybe losing this season? Well, like, first of all, if you, like, poll Americans, 40% of Americans wouldn't take the vaccine. So, so, so that's the one. Two, so if there's a vaccine, so to get people in the building for an NHL game, what do you have to do, show up with a, a proof that you took a vaccine? Yeah, like, that's you true. Know, yeah. I'll, 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 well, I'll give you the parallel, James. Like, I went to Game 7 Dodgers and Braves in Texas. Got on a plane, flew there. When I went to the Globe Life Field, I, didn't, I was not asked if I had any symptoms. There was no temperature check. As long as I wore a mask, they let me in the building. Right? And that was 25% capacity. Could they start next season? Yeah. Here's what it comes down to. Now, there was a story, and I'll preface this by saying, there was a story in the Toronto Sun, I think, yesterday, that um, the Canadian government might consider waiving the 14-day quarantine and make it maybe where you have rapid testing when people come off international flights. If that's the case and there's some clarity around that, that will go a long way to help start the season, right? Because if there's 14-day quarantine is going to be in place, then you got to have a Canadian division, you got to have different, and you got to have probably three or four American divisions, and you're going to play the game right away. If that changes before the start of next season, that's a huge that's a huge path towards starting. I think they have to play James. Now, what they'll probably do is compact the schedule. What you might see, like, I would say in the West here, like you're going to have you have a division of L.A., Anaheim, San Jose, Arizona, Vegas, maybe Dallas, or you know, not Vancouver, obviously. So what would happen is Vegas would come to Southern California for a week, and they play two games against the Kings and two games against the Ducks. So you'd have it more like a baseball schedule, where you go, you go in, you play a series of games again, and the travel would be, uh, you know, would be easier, be less travel. Now the good thing there is that you'll have more rivalries. Like I'll sign on right now, James. If Calgary and Edmonton play 12 times next year, I want to see that happen. That's the positive thing. So do I think that they would just sit out the season? No, I think the NHL is going through every permutation to play next season, and I believe they will. And I'm the guy that believed from you know, March 19th that they finished the Stanley finished the season and win it, play, award the Stanley Cup, where everybody else was screaming, you know, cancel the season. We know how to adapt, James. We have to be able to adapt. We can't stay in our homes. Look, baseball did it, and baseball traveled during the season. The NFL's doing it. You know, will we have some cancellations due to COVID next season if we go that route? Yeah, we will, but we'll deal with it. It's not, you know, James, I'm not going to throw a parallel and say this is the flu. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, there are certain teams that go through a flu run on a, a team and guys sit out. So you have a guy sit out, you contact Trace, he has a couple of uh, negative tests and you put them back in the lineup. I think that's the route that we're going. We have to be able to adapt and learn from this. And I think that's what we learn. I think the rapid testing will help. So the, the short answer is do I think we'll play next season? Yeah. We do need people in the building though. That's the one thing. There's certain jurisdictions like here in LA right now, there's nobody in the building. And California is, you know, 
Uh, I won't get political, so I'm not going to hold off on that. But you're going to have to have people in the building, so the jurisdictions are going to have to have at least some attendance in the building. And I do think as we get deeper into 2021, we'll get better. So by the time the end of next season uh, comes around, we'll have full capacity in buildings. That's my belief. I'm not a politician. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But I think that's what we're going. But do I think that will start in January? I do, with limited capacity. Um, and then as the things which I think will improve in 2021, uh, we'll get back towards more normalcy, uh, both in the world and in the NHL. Listen, uh, Dennis, I'll tell you this. You guys all just need to come out here to the east coast of Canada. Come out to Halifax. Come out to Nova Scotia. we got low cases to no cases. we got plenty of beautiful rinks, yeah. all kinds of cool things to do. All you got to do is wait 14 days. And uh, you know what? Let's do the NHL here. Everybody can travel around, have some fun, and there's lots of rinks and lots of uh, big-name talent from here, too, with Crosby and McKinnon, so it wouldn't be a slouch of a place to be. Yep. For sure. All right, okay. Dennis. Well, Dennis, thank you very much for uh, coming on again today. I really appreciate you always taking the time with me. You're always so generous with it, sir. Uh, cannot wait to get you back on when the season's going and talk about those young L.A. Kings and see where they're at. 